0: Hello and welcome to Haaretz Weekend. I'm Alison Kaplan-Summer. As our television screens fill with the images of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the refugee crisis that's resulting, the images and the names of the cities and countryside under attack resonate deeply for Israelis and for Jews around the world. That region, after all, was part of one of the most painful episodes in Jewish history, the Holocaust. Joining us to discuss this is Danny Dayan, the chairman of Yad Vashem, the World Holocaust Remembrance Center. Prior to his position at Yad Vashem, Mr. Dayan served as Israel's Consul General in New York. Later in the show, we'll speak with Haaretz Deputy Editor in Chief Noah Landau, who wrote an opinion piece strongly criticizing Yad Vashem donations from billionaires like Roman Abramovich, which she believes are highly problematic. But first, my conversation with Danny Diane. It's an honor to welcome Danny Diane, who is the chairman of Yad Vashem and the former consul general in New York, to Haaretz Weekend. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me, Alison.
0: We're recording right after the German Chancellor's visit to Yad Vashem. You're just uh, done with that meeting. I'm sure meeting German officials visiting Yad Vashem are particularly emotional affairs. And uh, surely at a turbulent time like this in Europe, how was the visit?
1: No doubt. It's very significant. And it's his first visit to Israel and to Yad Vashem as Chancellor of Germany. Not his personal first visit, but his first visit as Chancellor and his first stop in Israel. And if I'm not wrong, His longest stop in Israel, in spite of the fact that he shortened his visit and squeezed it into less than one day, he devoted to Yad Vashem, he dedicated uh, the full two hours he intended uh, when the visit was planned. And yes, it was a very emotive visit for us and for him.
0: There's a lot going on today. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, who is Jewish and, uh, as we know, is in a, a very tense situation uh, after uh, the Russian invasion of his country, called on the millions of Jews around the world not to remain silent, especially after Russia bombed Babi Yar outside Kiev. He said that it was as if the victims of the Holocaust were being attacked for the second time. Babi Yar, as we know is the site of a terrible massacre during the Holocaust. And also yesterday the Ukrainian ambassador to Israel raised some eyebrows when he held a press conference lobbying Israel to take in more refugees from the Ukraine and he invoked the Holocaust in his argument saying that Israel had a moral imperative to do this because in the second world war when the ukrainians were quote saving massively jewish lives during the holocaust he said that uh, ukraine had the fourth most righteous among the nations non-jews who saved jewish lives how do you feel about the ukrainian leaders continually making this holocaust connection as they make their case desperately for assistance during this crisis
1: Well, in one word, uh, I feel uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable by what the Ukrainians say and also by what the Russians say about the nazification of uh, Ukraine. I think both sides in this sense uh, are trivializing the Holocaust, even I would say distorting the Holocaust. I was not silent if I refer to President Zelensky, whom I met uh, when I was in Kiev last October. We were not silent from the onset. We deplored the invasion of uh, Russia, the Russian Federation, to Ukrainian territory, and also the damage done to Babiya. But, uh, you know, I'm not thrilled by uh, those sentences about killing for the second time the victims. Uh, the victims were killed by the Nazis and their collaborators. The Ukrainian government, for sure, it's headed by a Jew, is not a Nazi, and there is no need to denazify Ukraine. And the statement by uh, the Ukrainian ambassador was regrettable. That is true that there were many Ukrainian righteous among the nations, but unfortunately, unfortunately, there were much more collaborators than righteous. So the statement by the ambassador that Ukrainians helped as a group, help save Jews during the Shoah is grossly inaccurate. Those are the details. In principle, I regret. I regret the fact that both sides use in their propagandistic rhetoric comparisons to the Shoah, to the Holocaust, that are completely, completely inaccurate and completely, completely improper.
0: In what some people are considering a case of unfortunate timing. A week ago, Yad Vashem announced a generous donation from Roman Abramovich, which was said to be in the eight figures. Abramovich, of course, is a billionaire making his money in oil, steel, and mining after the breakup of the state-owned businesses uh, following the fall of the Soviet Union. And he's known to sports fans around the world as the owner of uh, Chelsea Football Club in the Premier League in uh, England. So, So many other Russian so-called oligarchs, billionaires, many of whom have taken Israeli citizenship, and some of whom are Jewish, he's donated very generously to a number of Jewish and Israeli causes, some say more than 500 million dollars, including this generous, generous donation to Yad Vashem, which you're planning to use for many projects. And then a few days ago, Channel 12 in Israel reported that Yad Vashem had participated in lobbying the United States against sanctioning Abramovich in light of his contribution to the Jewish people. It's assumed that he's in danger of being sanctioned personally because of his uh, supposed closeness to Vladimir Putin and his ties financially to the Russian state. He himself denies a close relationship with Putin. But what's your response to this criticism of the move? Even in Haaretz, it was written that even If Yad Vashem is convinced that the Russian Israeli billionaire has clean hands and no connection whatsoever with Putin's murderous regime, it is not the institution's job to act as his defense attorney. How do you respond to the criticism?
1: You refer to Roman Abramovich as a Russian oligarch or a Russian billionaire. I consider him first and foremost a Jewish wealthy person, a Jewish billionaire, then an Israeli citizen. And he was born in Russia, as many, many Israeli citizens did. I hope that no one expects Yad Vashem to boycott Israeli citizens that were born in the former Soviet Union or in Russia. But you know, Alison, you referred to his links with ties with Vladimir Putin. I'm not aware of that. I know that he did have ties with Putin, but not lately and for sure, not on political matters. He never spread support for the annexion of Crimea. He never expressed support for the current invasion. On the contrary, I read even in your newspaper that he went to Belarus in order to try to mediate between Ukraine and Russia by invitation of the Ukraine, just by invitation of Kiev. So if Kiev invites him to mediate, I assume, I assume that he's not so pro-Russia or pro-Putin. Mr. Abramovich has donated very large sums to many organizations, Jewish and non-Jewish, that uh, are dedicated to very, very worthy causes, and not just lately, at least for a decade. Paris Center for Peace, Tel Aviv University, Sheba Medical Center. President Herzog himself visited Chelsea and uh, participated in a reception he hosted against anti-Semitism, against racism. I am not a judge. I have no indication that he did any wrongdoing. I don't see any reason to reject a gift by a Jew, an Israeli citizen, a person that for a decade is committed to very worthy causes. And indeed, I signed with the others, with the president of Tel Aviv University, with the director general of the Shiva Medical Center and others, a letter to my friend, Ambassador Knights of the United States. But that letter doesn't say a thing about Abramovich. It says about our organizations. It says that our organizations will be damaged in that case. That is the only case we did in that letter to Ambassador Knights.
0: So you neither regret accepting the donation nor signing the letter?
1: No. I am uh, six months in my position as Chairman of Yad Vashem. One of the most shocking experiences I had while preparing for the job or for the mission was to read the report by the Israel Academy of Science about the status of the academic studies in Israel of, on Shoah studies, on Holocaust studies. We completely lost our leadership on, Israel lost its leadership on Holocaust studies. We have no, virtually no new PhD students that deal with the basic research on the Shoah. I am determined to regain the world leadership on Shoah studies. There are immense areas of study that are completely under research. The Shoah in Greece, the Shoah in Romania, the Shoah in North Africa, and many other issues. This contribution will help us even, I would say, will guarantee that we will be able to nurture young researchers on Shoah studies, regain for Israel the world leadership on Shoah studies as it should be, I am definitely proud that I am leading that effort to regain the leadership, to research areas that were neglected for many reasons for many years. And yes, I am grateful to Mr. Abramovich for his contribution that will allow us to do it.
0: I mean, to borrow the language of the editorial that was written about it in Haaretz, should underwriting all of this really, really important work depend, as they say, on the kindness of billionaires? It's been pointed out that you yourself have warned that since the Israeli government is only funding, I'm not quite sure if it's a third or a half of Yad Vashem's budget, you will know this, that this dependence on uh, private donors like Abramovich, like uh, Miriam Adelson could possibly undermine the independence of Yad Vashem.
1: Not independence, because we will never, ever accept a donation that has strings attached in the sense of uh, content. Uh, we all obviously, as is usual in this area, we do namings and other things like that. The problem is that, you know, areas that are more prone to find contributions, receive, are more, there is a, a larger chance that we will be able to deal with and others that are less you will excuse me for this word, sexy, we can less dedicate to that. That is a concern. But I agree completely with the editorial in Alex, I think that the government of Israel should cover much larger percentage of Yad Vashem's budget. And also in that case, if the government does, and I hope that in the future it will increase from the current 30% to 50% or to 70%, as it is the case in the Israeli universities, It also in that case, we will be very zealous to safeguard other independence, our autonomy, and not to be influenced by politicians on historical truth, for instance.
0: Some people, including our own Noah Landau, who just wrote this in Ha'aretz, believe there should be a law that would require the government to fully fund Yad Vashem, that it should only be funded by public money. Would you support that legislation?
1: Why not? Of course, I think that's uh, the status that should prevail. But I am also a realistic person. I know that is not going to happen. And I have the responsibility to bring the Shoah legacy and facts to every Israeli. There are uh, vast, large sectors in the Israeli society that we have not engaged yet. And bring it to every effective, relevant audience in the world. I have very, I would say, ambitious programs to put the, the Shoah, its legacy, at the forefront of the international agenda. It requires funding, and as long as the government is not the, the, the guarantor of those funds, uh, we have to apply to philanthropists. Those are the facts of life, Alison, that uh, are not different in Yad Vashem than in any other organization.
0: In an age where we've seen an alarming rise in anti-Semitism around the world, and uh, where we're also seeing a huge phenomenon of uh, what we call Holocaust trivialization and distortion, we've had uh, during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, anti-vaccine protesters wearing yellow stars, numbers on their arms, etc. What role do you feel that Holocaust museums, Holocaust research centers like Yad Vashem have to play in battling that phenomenon?
1: Well, you know, I don't see uh, Yad Vashem as one more uh, museum or institution that deals with the Holocaust. Uh, we are the institution of the victims. In my office, I put on one of the walls in my office quote by uh, Gela Zakstein. Gela Zakstein was a Jewish painter in the Warsaw Ghetto. And she wrote in August 1st, 1942, as a stand on the border between life and death, certain that I will not remain alive. I, will, I am doomed. I know that I will not survive. I wish to take leave from my friends and my works. My works I bequeath to the Jewish museum to be built after the war. I have shivers every time. I see every morning when I see this quote in the wall of my office. Because Gela Zakshteyn, Zechrona bracha knew that the Jewish people will not forget the victims and will establish a museum. It is Yad Vashem. There is no other museum of the victims as Yad Vashem. There are many museums all over the world, but we are solely the museum of the six million Jewish victims of the Holocaust. And that is a huge responsibility. That is a huge responsibility that we have to fulfill. I say to world leaders that come here, including to Chancellor Scholz this morning, that thank God we are not in, in, in the world, in spite of the rise in anti-Semitism is not similar to Europe of the 30s. We are far from that, at least in what uh, refers to anti-Semitism. Now the geopolitical situation in some sense uh, resembles. But the difference between us and the generation of Europe of the 30s is that we have the experience they lacked. Probably they could imagine that anti-Semitism can metastasize into such monstrous dimensions as it did. But we know that if it happened once, it can happen twice. So I told the Chancellor Scholz and all other leaders that visit Yad Vashem that their responsibility is to confront anti-Semitism decisively with determination and beat it the moment they see it and to not wait. That's the difference between saying never again and meaning it and saying never again as a shallow cliché.
0: It feels like a long time ago, but amazingly, it was only a month ago that you invited Whoopi Goldberg, the American entertainer who uh, said on American television that the Holocaust wasn't about race and awoke a huge controversy. Did she ever respond to your invitation?
1: No. And uh, actually, I am I am very sorry that her network suspended her for two weeks for two reasons. It's useless. She didn't display evil. She displayed misunderstanding and ignorance. So punishing in two weeks suspension was uh, something uh, weird to do, unless, unless they had used those two weeks to send her to Yad Vashem. I think the network should have sent her to Yad Vashem for those two weeks in order to gain understanding and knowledge of the Holocaust. Because what she said, I don't think it was malintentioned. I think it's only displayed gross misunderstanding of what is anti-Semitism in general, and the Shoah in particular, and uh, a lack of basic knowledge. That shows how much work all over the world we still have to do and uh, how much efforts We still have to dedicate in order to propagate understanding and knowledge of the Shoah. And as I told you earlier, I see our field in the next years, in the next decade, as not only being local, but as being global.
0: So the invitation is still open, presumably. (laughs) Definitely. Danny Dayan, chairman of Yad Vashem, the World Holocaust Remembrance Center. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful you came on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Elissa.
0: Coming up next, my conversation with Noah Landau. And now I'd like to welcome Noah Landau, a senior journalist at Haaretz, our former diplomatic correspondent, the former editor-in-chief of Haaretz English. And now Haaretz's newly appointed deputy editor-in-chief. Congratulations on the new gig, Noah. Thank you very much, Alison. Ha. it's nice to be here. So you wrote a pretty strong opinion piece headlined, The writing has been on the wall for Yad Vashem's Schnorah culture. First of all, tell us, what's a Schnorah?
2: Well, it's kind of uh, the Yiddish term for begging for donations, constantly begging for donations, you know, for uh, different institutions and so on, which is kind of what's going on in Yad Vashem in recent years.
0: So explain what has been going on in Yad Vashem and uh, what writing has been on the wall.
2: Yes, so in Yad Vashem for several years, there's been uh, several official reports claiming that Yad Vashem has more and more foreign donations, not only foreign, also domestic, but more and more donations, which means that the larger, the contribution of the state in their funding is shrinking as the donations from private entities and people is, is growing, which is basically compromising the independence of the Institute, Danny Dayan, who uh, you also interviewed for uh, this podcast, who is the chair of Yad Vashem, said himself that this is a problem because um, as much as you want to keep independence, uh, private donors, they have their own agendas. And sometimes it could cause conflicts.
0: But we have problematic private donors, frankly, all over Israel. We've had people, you know, with criminal uh, backgrounds in the United States and Europe, you know, putting their names on buildings, uh, et cetera. The latest case that people have pointed to is the Sackler School, right? The medical school at Tel Aviv University after the scandals that the Sackler family has undergone with pharmaceuticals. Why do you think Yad Vashem needs this special sensitivity of protection as maybe, as you will, against um, being exploited by donors?
2: Right. So this is definitely not an Israeli issue. I just saw this morning a massive discussion in the UK about the Bravetnik School of Governance in Oxford University, which there's a question, could they be totally independent in the way that they research uh, current war? He's uh, from Ukraine origin, uh, but also lived in Russia for a long time. But so, of course, this is a discussion that we're not having only... uh, in Israel how private donors affect public institutions, right? But Yad Vashem is unique. Yad Vashem is not just a public institution like the University of Tel Aviv or a hospital in Israel. This is the core of the ethos of the Jewish people. So this is a uniquely important institution that has a lot to do also with the values of who we are as a people, as a nation, and so on. And this is why I think it's more important that since it's such an important national establishment, it should be funded by, you know, national funds and the public sector and the government.
0: Yeah, I was surprised that Danny Dayan was supportive of such legislation. I would have thought that, you know, he would be prevented from uh, having these massive donations that could let him expand to a greater greater extent. But he agreed that perhaps this legislation is in place.
2: Yeah, I mean, I assume Danny Dayan wants a sufficient budget, have, you know, the the right amount of money for whatever they want to achieve. But uh, for him, it's more of a headache to go and collect all these donations every year. And by the way, it's not only a problem of of independence. It's also a problem that, you know, the budget is very shaky if every year you need to rely on this person or that b- person to give you a donation. It's very shaky. So for him, I'm sure that it would be better that the government would actually fund all of Yad Vashem needs. I'm also not saying it's black and white. If you want, you know, I don't know, a, a new library, it's not always, you know, wrong to get a donation. But when the core of the budget relies more and more on private donation, then it becomes a problem. It's not about one library or one wall. And what we saw right right now is that Roman Abramovich who gave you know a massive donation just I think it was it was announced three days before the war broke which was very uh, suspicious you know on many levels then you know I think it was a day or even two after it was announced that Yad Vashem was part of a letter begging the West not to sanction him so this is where it becomes very problematic
0: if you like this letter crossed a line that the heads of these organizations that Abramovich donated to should not have uh, lobbied the U.S.
2: Definitely, definitely. I mean, taking the money is one discussion that, we, you know, we just had. Uh, and Danny Dayan himself says that, you know, it might have been better if he had the money, you know, from the government and not from Oman Abomovich. But when they go, you know, a day or two afterwards and the lobbyist for <laughs> Oman Abomovich, you know, everyone, I mean, there are voices, you know, called to sanction him in the UK and the US all over. Why should, you know, Yad Vashem involve himself in such a question?
0: Going to another uh, aspect of this terrible conflict that we're witnessing in Ukraine. Noah, you're a member of the newspaper's editorial board, and today there was a strong editorial in Haaretz calling on Israel to open its doors much more widely to Ukrainian refugees who aren't Jews necessarily making aliyah, but people who are seeking safe haven with friends and relatives here. There's a lot of connections between Israel and Ukraine right now. right, The Israeli government is demanding that whoever helps them has to post financial guarantees that they will eventually leave, given that Israel has this history of people from the Ukraine living and working illegally. In his press conference yesterday, the Ukrainian ambassador to Israel didn't hide his anger and frustration when he condemned that policy. So our editorial says it's unforgivable and there will be a price to pay if we don't show more generosity towards these refugees.
2: I think the price to pay more of a moral statement than anything else. But uh, the principle is that right now we see that there is a problem. There are 50 Ukrainians who came to Israel and were sent back. And there are several that are right now actually still at the airport because their situation is not solved yet and they're locked in a special facility in the airport so that their situation can be investigated. But the thing is that Israel is not the only country in the world that has issues with immigration and democracy and and so on. And uh, we're not unique in this. And so many countries are doing this effort. We're not saying that uh, we should bring in, you know, half a million people. But yes, on a symbolic level, on a moral level, we should do more and we can. Bringing in several hundreds is not the end of the world. We can do this. And it's an important statement.
0: Noah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about these important issues. Everyone, don't forget to go to Haaretz.com and read all of what Noah has to say on the Russia-Ukraine crisis, along with our extensive coverage and commentary on it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Alison. And that wraps things up for this edition of Haaretz Weekend. I'd like to thank my guests, Dani Diana-Noah Landau, along with my producer and editor, Maya Ben-Nissan. Don't forget to tune in next week for Haaretz Weekly with Amir Tibon. I'm Alison Kaplan-Summer, and until next time, Shabbat Shalom from Tel Aviv.